0: Welcome to the midweek edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Glad to be with you on what is, to uh, paraphrase, the great Brooke Benton, a rainy day uh, in Georgia across most of the state. Uh, We have a panel of mayors today, and and I have to say, and I've said it before, that's always one of my favorite uh, shows. Because mayors are where the rubber meets the road. Yes, some of them are involved in partisan politics to an extent, but they have to solve actual real problems for the citizens that they represent. And so they are able to work perhaps a bit more collaboratively, uh, a bit uh, less Uh, in terms of partisan rancor to get things done. Um, And um, I'm very glad to be able to do this show today. We'll talk about what's going on in their cities, and then we're going to talk a little bit about Georgia election news, and we will talk about uh, what's happening in the uh, Judiciary Committee uh, 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 hearings on Ketanji uh, Brown-Jackson as well. Uh, Let me first say that as we're doing uh, all this week, uh, Political Rewind continues to be live in the morning on Georgia Public Broadcasting's radio uh, station across the state. If, in fact, you want to either hear or watch the uh, Supreme Court hearings, then you can go to GPB.org right now and they'll be there for you to watch. And then after this show, um, we'll take you directly on GPB Radio. To the hearings as they continue. And I hope that satisfies everybody that you get both um, a look at what's happening here in Georgia as well as an opportunity to uh, hear the Supreme Court hearings moving forward. All right. All of that said, uh, it's Wednesday. My partner on the show is Greg Bluestein from the AJC. And Greg Bluestein, look, you had a huge day yesterday. We have talked for months on this show about your work on flipped. How Georgia Turned Purple and Broke the Monopoly on Republican Power, the book that you've written on the 2020 election. And yesterday was the official publication date. Congratulations to you, Greg.
1: Thank you. It's such a surreal experience seeing it out in the world, hearing from so many readers and listeners of your show, and, and just Georgia politics enthusiasts, and also just people who are just interested about Georgia and wanted to learn more. Uh, we were overwhelmed with the response, and it was really neat seeing it, um, seeing it in real life.
0: We, we are planning on doing a show with you specifically about the book at some point fairly soon uh, on Political Rewind. I was very fortunate to be able to read the book when it was still in galleys, and it's just, it's terrific. And what I like about it more than anything else, Greg, is not only all the inside stories you tell us, but it gives you a chance to exercise your muscle as a real writer beyond filing stories for deadline, which is a whole different kind of writing.
1: You're right. It's a different animal entirely, and it, and it was that was a challenge for me too because I'm used to deadlines by the minute, not even really by the hour of the day sometimes. <laughs> um, and it was fun working on something for a year <laughs> it's now just seeing the light of day. It's a whole different challenge. Yeah.
0: Well, again, uh, Flip is available to you uh, today from your independent bookstore. Um, we're, uh, let's welcome our panel of mayors. Dina Holiday Ingram, mayor of East Point, is back with us today. Dina, very happy to have you here. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be here again. You know, I always enjoy spending my mornings with you and the panel, and I am absolutely going to get flipped.
0: <laughs> okay, thanks, Mayor. Mayor Van Johnson, Mayor of Mayor Savannah, is uh, back with us again today. Mayor, is it a rainy day down there your way?
3: It is not, but it's expected to be, uh, you know, know, the noon end of the day is going to be a little rough. And I uh, saw what's happening out in Louisiana and certainly concerned for those folks out there. But it's always a pleasure to be with you and, Gray, and Greg and um, these two super mayors who um, I just um, stalk, on social media to see what they're doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for being here, Mayor. Mayor Kelly Gertz of Athens is also back with us today. How are things out in Athens this morning, uh, Mayor?
4: Uh, It's a little bleak outside, but I've got a bright spot here on this program and uh, anticipate that (laughs) this will continue to be a source of strength, really like uh, Mayor Holiday Ingram and Mayor Johnson have been for me these last couple of years. And, uh, G- Greg, uh, I'm happy to say, checks in the mail. I downloaded
0: your book last night. <laughs> so I guess I can't
1: sign a digital copy,
0: though. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get to some topics. Greg Bluestein. one of the issues that um, cities across the state, larger cities uh, particularly, are facing is homelessness. The city of Atlanta has uh, significant problems with it. And, and at least and two of our mayors, Mayor Van Johnson and Mayor Kelly Gertz, have been working on this issue um, uh, pretty, uh, in a pretty focused way. Um, so, Greg, for instance, uh, in Savannah, uh, they have a, a program in place. It's a 10-year plan uh, to construct, put millions of dollars into constructing up to 400 units of housing for uh, homeless families. We'll get to Van Johnson talking about it in a minute. But, but homelessness is an issue across the state, Greg.
1: Yeah, we're seeing mayors tackle it with a different approach than we've seen in, past years right um, a more holistic approach more comprehensive and also you know in, in, in a sense more expensive um, and so these mayors are making tough decisions about how to spend public dollars uh, to combat a uh, an issue that 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 you know has, has become a, a increasingly a statewide issue we're seeing legislation from Republican lawmakers that are trying to tackle homelessness in a different way in a more i guess a punitive way um, but these mayors are are using their cities as laboratories to try to provide new solutions,
0: and we'll see how it goes. Um, Mayor Johnson, let's talk to you about the, the work that's going on in Savannah right now. And then, Mayor Gertz, you have a, an interesting approach to this as well. But, Mayor Johnson, talk about uh, this uh, plan to try to provide affordable housing at a time when housing prices have just skyrocketed.
3: Well, it is, and I appreciate it. This was an opportunity for us to really uh, fulfill one of our key campaign promises, if you will. Um, The fact of the matter was that Savannah is a place people love to come. It's a place where people love to come and live. And so we have been – some of our tragedies have been because of some of our successes. Um, Savannah did not have an affordable housing plan. And so there's so many definitions that go with affordable housing and what workforce housing is, what low-income housing is. So we ultimately decided to have a plan to make housing affordable for Savannians, whatever that is, that housing should be accessible, it should be afford- affordable, and it should be available to you. And so we were able to use that in such a way to, to make it uh, amenable to, to people where they are uh, in the spectrum. Uh, from that, we, we adopted what was really considered a housing-first um, model that has been talked about all over the place. That means you know, simply that members of our community who are most at risk, those that are most vulnerable, have priority access to housing and wraparound services that they would need to um, achieve stable housing and better health outcomes. Um, Housing First is a proven method of reducing homelessness and providing better results for those who experience homelessness and reduce costs on extremely costly public systems like public safety and things like health care.
0: Mayor Gertz, you have uh, a plan in place in Athens, which is really a new creative approach, Um, and that is to have a government-sanctioned homelessness encampment. What does that mean?
4: that is that's correct uh, i would always say that um, homelessness as many analysts have pointed out is what's sometimes termed a wicked problem you've many 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 influences and no single solution and so i never want to begin this conversation by suggesting there's some silver bullet or we've done some magic trick here in athens that that's going to be the only thing that's going to solve this you know we know as mayor johnson just indicated that every attractive market has a housing cost and a housing availability problem right now. And we also know that nationally we're within this space where we're just having behavioral health crisis after crisis. We had hundred thousand overdose deaths for the first time ever in this country. Last year, you had people who were knocked about by the pandemic who never were able to get back up. And so you combine all this and any community that's resource rich, that has hospitals, that has social service facilities, that has employment, is also seeing a homeless spike. So so we just know that that's true nationally, and we also know that's true statewide in in, in our communities and every other metro center. And so among the things we are doing is creating a funnel for people who've been out there on the street really just bouncing from place to place. Uh, My office gets calls every week. From private property owners and from people who are in our public parks, who say, "Hey, there's somebody camping here, and you know, I, I want some solution to this." And so, one layer of the solution for us is finding a place where we can collect people, and people who have been on the street can be in more consistent contact with behavioral health resources, employment resources, and other aid providers. Um, and we really see this as a, a as a solution. That's going to take many years and many other tools in the box. It's going to include more behavioral health beds. It's going to include constructing more of that affordable housing. It's going to include like very strategic case management. So if we find somebody on the street here, who's been drifting around from town to town, we can say, all right, well, let's, let's talk to your mama back in Kennesaw and get you back home.
0: Um, Mayor Ingram, How does homelessness uh, manifest itself in East Point?
2: So we are seeing an increase in people experiencing homelessness. Um, The numbers are growing, but still kind of the visible signs of homelessness, um, the numbers are lower. But, you know, for us, it is really making sure that we are having an increased level of intentionality in how we support all of our residents. And so you know we are providing warming centers now to help people. You know when when the inclement weather approaches, um, but outside of that, we also receive some grants from Fulton County for emergency solutions for people, either, either experiencing homelessness or preventing homelessness, as well as CDBG grants to deal with the housing and eviction and all of that crisis that came through the pandemic, and and through that. Um, we are providing emergency housing, so shelter at a local ho- hotel within the city, as well as case management to help people who are experiencing homelessness get to a level of more stability. And we actually had a resident come on to and speak during public comments at one of our recent meetings, talking about the support that I call it like our co- community resource specialist. This um, employee within the city, Yolanda Johnson, who's really connected people, she said she saved my life and my family's life. Um, by being able to walk her through the process to be able to keep her home in a mortgage situation. And so um our city manager is committed to building in inter- like a, a permanent infrastructure within our city to continue to provide this level of support because our demographics gives us those opportunities. And when we look at housing affordability, we adopted an equitable growth and inclusion strategic plan, and one of the pillars is inclusive housing, ensuring that we have we currently have housing for every that anyone can afford at any income level. Right, so a full continuum of housing that, as we grow, that we continue continue to build housing and grow housing at every income level, because this missing middle housing crisis is growing throughout this country, and so we're going to have to think differently about housing affordability to ensure that we make sure that everyone is housed. Because if we don't believe that housing should be affordable for everyone, then we support, in my, my mind, indirectly, supporting homelessness. Right. So this idea that affordable housing is only about low-income people, no, it's about everyone. Everyone should have housing that they can afford at their income level to make sure that we continue to serve everyone within our cities.
0: So, uh, Greg, a few things that come out of what I just heard the mayor say. Uh, One of them is we should point out this has been an intractable intractable problem for decades. I mean, it is not as if suddenly homelessness is an issue that these mayors and others are trying to— Solve. it's. There have been uh, attempts at solutions for helping homeless people get off the streets in cities like Atlanta for many decades, and no matter what happens, it just hasn't—we haven't solved the problem or come even close to solving the problem.
1: No, and it's gotten worse, too, in recent years. I mean, right now we have pandemic-induced supply chain problems that has made it even harder for for people to afford homes with supply issues— with rising costs of lumber and, and other key products. Um, and, you know, this isn't going away anytime soon either, right? Um, there are new crackdowns in China where we get a lot of our our household supplies um, that are going to continue to trickle down. And so these mayors are looking at this holistically, again, with a new perspective on how to fight this problem, knowing that there's no easy solution, but also knowing that there's no insight uh, in to the higher prices.
0: Um, Greg, one other quick question while while I've got you, uh, uh, got the ball in your court. There was a bill, I think it's SB 535, proposed by uh, Cordill uh, Senator Cardin Summers that um, really was going to, it was especially focused on the city of Atlanta, but it would have an impact on the, the mayors on this show as well. And and it it really is sort of a punitive bill saying that if you don't get the homeless off the streets in your cities, just to give the broadest uh, language about the bill, we're going to start taking state funds away from you. We don't want you to be allowed to use federal funds to build uh, affordable housing for the homeless in your committee. And to be honest with you, I was trying to find out this morning— whether this bill is moving, I don't know if you know or if any of the mayors do. I can't find any word on the progress of the measure right now. Do you know? Yeah, it's not going anywhere. Punitive
1: is a great yeah. word for it, but just because it's not going anywhere doesn't mean we should not pay attention to it. This is a very important piece of messaging for Republican lawmakers. A number of, of, of senior GOP officials co-sponsored this bill, um, and it's part of two things. It's part of what you mentioned, which was. A, a new effort to crack down on homelessness as if it's, you know, the faults of, of many of the people without homes who, who, you know, for, for the fact that they don't have homes. Uh, but secondly, it's also a, a part of a trend that we've been seeing throughout this year and for years really, but we've seen it increase this year of using Atlanta as the boogeyman, using uh, of, of lawmakers who live far outside the city, um, attacking Atlanta, criticizing the leadership of Atlanta. we see seen it with Buckhead cityhood. We've seen that with airport takeover bills over the years, and now we're seeing it with this homelessness initiative,
0: Mayor Gertz. I think that Bluestein makes a good point. This is a shot across the bow. Whether it went anywhere this session or not, it could easily be back next session. You had some Republican leadership backing this measure. Um, how 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 uh, vigorously did you and other uh, mayors around the state work to push this, uh, get this bill uh, deferred?
4: Well, we in local government believe in local control. And we don't believe we should have shackles put on us by the state. Uh, Mayor Holiday Ingram, Mayor Johnson, and I have both been very active in the Georgia Municipal Association. And among the other things that I'd note to those out there across the state is that this bill is something like saying we are going to punish localities that have a lot of emergency room check-ins. Because the reality is that you're always going to see a spike in need where there are resources. So if you have hospitals, you have ER visits. If you have a population center, you're going to see more homelessness. So invariably, you're going to see more homeless individuals per capita in a Chatham County or a Clark County or a Fulton County than you are in an Irwin County or a Tiff County.
0: Mayor Johnson?
3: Yeah, I mean, this, this was, I mean, of a year that was really uh, crazy and still crazy. Uh, this really kind of blew me. Um, for a couple of reasons. Now, uh, in terms of where it is now, I think that the, the bill now being considered calls for a study committee, uh, and that the original bill did not make it through crossover. Um, but I think the unfortunate part is that the sponsor did not understand the issues that it face faces service providers for those that are homeless and the governments that are trying to address the problem. Uh, the fact of the matter is is that this criminalizes homelessness; it penalizes homelessness, and rather than providing support to cities that are dealing with this issue, we really want to say, you know what, you're going to give cities incentives to try to hide the problem. Um, And I think that is the the issue. These are are people, Um, and so although we see them in the streets of Atlanta and streets across the city to include Savannah, um, it's a reminder to us that we as a community, as a city, uh, certainly as a state, um, have to do better at addressing the needs of those who don't have roofs. And so I'm certainly not supportive of any measure that would A, uh, encourage a city to hide them um, or, or to, to sweep them out of the way um, so that tourists don't see them, for example, or uh, to be able to uh, not put the attention that it needs to be um, on that type of issue. So, of course, we absolutely opposed it. And as Matt Gertz said, uh, it was another attack on local control uh, using the city of Atlanta's impetus to be able to do that. So, of course, we stand... Uh, with Atlanta and other cities across the state, and absolutely opposed this type of uh, crazy thinking,
0: Mayor. before we leave this subject, um, I think it's important that you and and really both uh, uh, Mayor Johnson and, and Mayor Gertz made a, a similar point. Uh, this isn't can't just be about say finding housing for the homeless. It's about affordable housing. Um, that all people have a right to have affordable housing was the way you stated it. And, and that's a particular, and Greg Bluestein sort of alluded to this a moment ago, this is particularly difficult right now when housing prices have skyrocketed, have soared to the point <clears throat> that we read every day that people simply cannot find housing that they can afford or even find housing stock that's available.
2: Yeah, you know, it is a a crisis that is growing daily, and the people that we serve are looking to us as the leaders. Government is supposed to be other people for the people, by the people, and they're looking to us to be able to say, do you really care about us? Do you see us? You know, I think it's interesting, and I wrote that on my, um, as I was taking notes as well, when Mayor Johnson said, the attempt to hide, you know, this idea of out of sight, out of mind, like, we know there's some real bad issues within, you know, our system, and we know, uh, of course, uh, attempt at another unfunded mandate as well, right, and uh, to, to chip away at local control. But do you see us? And so we at the local level, you know, when I say I represent everyone, all East corners, that's everyone, and, and people who are experiencing homelessness are still residents in our city. They're just unsheltered, right? And we need to have a commitment to, to ensure that and focusing on housing affordability and eliminating stigmas, right? So I'm intentional about saying people experiencing homelessness because you can get through it, right, and we can help you get through it. I'm intentional about housing affordability because of the stigma that has been placed on affordable housing and people have assigned a race, a class, or something of people versus every person. If you have a million-dollar house and a mortgage, your home is affordable for you because a mortgage is an affordable housing tool. And we have to start filling back these layers and destigmatizing you know, the things that really need help us serve
0: everyone within our community. Uh, Greg, before we get to our break, a final note on this. It's already been stated by the panel. Uh, this isn't, this bill, uh, which is now uh, not moving forward in the legislature, nevertheless, is another example of Republicans, longtime believers in local control, have looked to impose the state government's control over the municipalities like these three mayors run.
1: Yes, and I think Mayor Gertz can speak to this as well because he's seen uh, local control when it comes to uh, the redrawing of commission lines being uh, superimposed upon by, overridden by, by state lawmakers. So we're seeing this up and down, and Republicans say, hey, uh, the Republican-controlled legislature leaders say, hey, actions have consequences, elections have consequences. You guys gave us the, uh, the power over the state legislature, and so we'll use it.
0: Oh, you know what? Thank you for reminding me of that. Well, Mayor Gertz, as long as Bluestein brought it up, we should ask you about that and how the legislature has uh, taken control of your local uh, districting lines.
4: Yes, uh, hardball to the max this year in the General Assembly, and that included a, an uninvited uh, redrawing of the uh, Athens-Clarke County Unified Government Commission lines that uh, told the voters that three of the people who you elected four years ago are no longer going to be able to be on the ballot because they've been drawn out of districts. Um, and, and it's not about those individuals. It's about the electorate. It's about the electorate being given the opportunity to say either I want continuity or I want change. We were not given that. Uh, we were not given that choice uh, because we had these maps imposed upon us uh, in, in a really craven, raw way.
0: Um, Mayor, I started the show by saying you all tend to not be too involved in partisan politics. You, have sol- you try to find solutions to problems. But in this case, this was most definitely a partisan issue forced upon you, yes?
4: Indeed. A- <clears throat> absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's well-recognized and should be that we're a progressive community. We look for creative solutions. We believe, like Mayor Holiday Ingram said a couple minutes ago, that all of our people are, in fact, people and deserve to be seen and heard. And the fact that we've been so loud and proud in this regard has has meant we've had some blowback from some Republican members of the General Assembly. Uh, And and I want to make one quick note connecting this to the homeless question. Um, The the other mayors on the panel and I all have worked with young people in our careers, Uh, worked for 20 years with high school students. And I I would strongly push back against the idea that homeless people are not people. I think there's this caricature that they're like the walking dead coming out of nowhere. But I had many children who were in classrooms where I taught who were homeless at that point or very soon after just because of the economic and social circumstances of the
0: families that they came from. Thank you for a Ending this segment on on that important note, uh, Mayor Gertz. Let's do this. Let's get to our first break of the show. We have a lot more news we want to discuss with our mayors uh, after these messages. <laughs> Welcome back to Political Rewind. Uh, Greg Bluestein, AJC political reporter, Mayor Kelly Gertz of uh, Mayor of Athens, uh, Mayor Van Johnson, uh, Savannah, and Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram, Mayor of East Point, are with us on our show today. <clears throat> Greg Bluestein, the uh, U.S. Senate confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown Jackson continue. This morning, and as I've already said, and we'll say one more time if you want to listen to those hearings, go to our website, gpb.org, where they're streaming live right now, and where we will pick them up on the radio as soon as Political Rewind ends. Yesterday, Greg, um, among the things that were notable about the hearings were the way in which Republican senators intertwined themes from their 2022 elections across the country, with their inquiries about Judge Jackson, um, many of the things that they asked her about will have no bearing on her work as a judge, uh, critical race theory uh, being one of them, the fact that they contend she's soft on crime, big issue for Republicans uh, in the election cycle underway right now, and then this notion that she's somehow soft on people who traffic in child pornography. Um, I want to I want to play a, a clip of Ted Cruz talking to her, interrogating her essentially. Ted Cruz, who could be a Republican candidate for president in 2024 or beyond, who went after her on this notion of critical race theory. This is a slightly edited uh, version of their exchange, but it's representative of what happened. Let's listen and then talk about it. When you just testified a minute ago that you didn't know if critical race theory was taught in K through 12, I I will confess, I I find that statement a little hard to reconcile uh, with the public record because if you look at the Georgetown Day School's curriculum, it is filled and overflowing with critical race theory. That that among the doc, the books that are either assigned or recommended, uh, they include critical race theory, an introduction, the end of policing, and ad, an advocacy for abolishing police. They include how to be an anti-racist by I- Ibram Kendi. Senator, I do not believe that any child
4: should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than, that they're victims, that they're oppressors. I don't believe in any of that.
0: Uh, Greg, I should have pointed out that when Senator Cruz referenced that Georgetown Day School, it's because she sits on the board of uh, that private school. uh, And so he brought to her attention to the fact that their books that he says advanced critical race theory. Uh, the question is, what does it have to do with her as a Supreme Court nominee?
1: Yeah, and by the way, that's a school, an elite private school where many Republicans also send their, uh, send their children to Washington. <laughs> um, but look, I mean, this was, we, we heard questions from from uh, critics and we had always heard that this was going to be a more respectful hearing, right? This is going to be, uh, uh, you know, kind of a, a sort of, you know, more laid back hearing in a sense. Um, but instead we heard Republicans play to the fringes of the party, you know, echo a lot of this culture war stuff that we're hearing in Georgia and on Fox News and in conservative media um, playing to the fringes of of the far right, in a sense, talking about um, there was a question from uh, Marsha Blackburn, I think it was, who asked whether or not she was woke about racialized education. These are issues that are not connected to any cases that we expect coming to the Supreme Court and certainly aren't involved in any cases right now the Supreme Court, Um, so it was seen as sort of a naked political grab. And we haven't seen – we've seen this before, right? This is not shocking that that Supreme Court hearings get um, politicized. But Senator Warnock asked a very pertinent question, and I'm quoting. He said, I do think it's a legitimate question to ask. Would they be asking these questions if this were not a black woman?
0: Um,
2: Mayor Ingram? Yeah, so that part, um, you know (laughs) – the reality of it is, is that it is unfortunate um, that people who are elected to government office at the higher level, federal government, to use these moments as opportunities for, you know, these really bad shows, right? Um, the show of really what white supremacy, white entitlement, racism in this country really looks like. The 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 show of you know, to be a Black woman in America, um, the, to have to sit and basically deal with irrelevant questions um, for a position that is this, you know, the highest court in the land, I think it's an attempt to be to create a distraction away from her many qualifications. She's overqualified to sit on this court. Um, she would be the only second trial judge To actually serve on the Supreme Court and bringing that experience and that knowledge to bear would absolutely help um, bring some level of fairness and and to the justice process. I mean, she's been confirmed three times by the Senate to serve in previous judicial roles just last year to the U.S. Court of Appeals. I mean, she is the epitome of, you know, someone who is extremely qualified and to have to sit through these antics. Of people who should be um, you know more astute but who don't even have the credentials that she has I mean it, it is a display of you know racism in this country the way it manifests itself and who often becomes and is on the victim side being um, victimized by that but but I would say I stand strongly with my sororor uh, yeah. judge Ketanji Brown Jackson, <laughs> um, as a black woman from Florida, my native, um, I'm a n- native Floridian. My husband grew up in Miami. my daughter can now, when I tell her my 12 year old daughter that you can be anything that you want to be, that's not just words. She can actually look and have, you know, examples of people in power and positions of power and influence who look like her. Um, so, you, yeah, know, you know, this what? is, this is really a bad show. <laughs>
0: I, I just want, I want to turn to uh, Mayor Johnson and Mayor Gertz, but I do want to point out, uh, uh, to uh, uh, amplify what you just said, uh, uh, Shirley Franklin was on the show the other day. And when I asked her that, the question about how, what it meant to her to have an African-American woman, the first nominated for the Supreme Court, she said, it's not about me. It's about my granddaughter, my newborn granddaughter, who will grow up in an era when an African-American woman is likely to serve on the Supreme Court. And that just moved me and I think our listeners so deeply. Mayor Johnson, here's an interesting uh, fact. Gallup was in the poll doing a a survey on uh, Americans' attitudes about whether or not uh, 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 the judge should be confirmed. They were in the field from March 1st to March 18th, Um, So a lot of this was brewing in the news. We were hearing the criticisms, the Republicans starting their attacks on her, hearing the defense of her record. And here's what's interesting about their findings. Um, She has the second highest approval rating uh, of any Supreme Court nominee going way, way back uh, to the mid-80s, 58%. Uh, said they support her confirmation. The only one who's got a little bit higher rating was Chief Justice, now John Roberts, who is at 59%. So, in some ways, Republicans are swimming upstream if they continue to oppose this nomination, although they're playing to their base. I get that.
3: Absolutely, but it, it, it is so unfortunate. I think that the word that May used <clears throat> is the word overqualified, um, this would be something different if she had not gone through, what, three or four Senate confirmations before. She just went through one. So, I mean, you would think that at some point uh, that process would be easier. Her, her opinions and things are already a part of the public record. And to see people kind of use this as their opportunity to uh, be who wants to be America's next president and use that as their, their, their space Um, There was a post that I found really interesting, uh, and I'll say this. For overqualified women who've had to remain calm, friendly, knowledgeable, and professional in front of unqualified men, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.
0: (laughs) Mayor Gertz?
4: Amen. Uh, And and I'll also say, as somebody who taught American government to high school kids for seven years, I hope for every one of these opportunities, these hearings, congressional testimony, as a chance to illuminate the elements of our democracy, to show everybody this is how things work. However, we didn't get illumination this week. We got obscuring democracy. We we, we got subterfuge. Uh, You know, frankly, Blackburn, Hawley, Cruz, they should have been paying for political advertising at that hearing because that's really what it was all about. And sadly, most people want to have honest conversations about race and about history. You know, They don't want to have these cartoon versions. You know, Sometimes I turn on uh, these hearings and it feels like I'm on The Simpsons. And I'd rather feel like I'm in a space where we can finally have some honest conversation. But in these recent years with the bunk about critical race theory and Cruz's stack of books yesterday – uh, I just didn't feel like there was any honesty, and, and, and that honesty r- really strikes to the heart of the opportunities that Mayor Holiday Ingram was just talking about finally being on on the cusp of having for for young people of color.
0: Um, so, Greg, um, we know that the, the the just the Judiciary Committee is made up of some Republicans who are positioning themselves for future. Potential future races for the White House, Josh Hawley, as I just uh, uh, mentioned uh, uh, a minute ago, Ted Cruz. And we have to point out that when uh, Brett Kavanaugh had his confirmation hearings, which turned into a very contentious uh, uh, series Mm -hmm. of conversations, Cory Booker, Amy Klobuchar were Democrats positioning themselves to run. Uh, The difference being that in the Kavanaugh—and Republicans are still smarting about the way they feel Kavanaugh was treated— Um, How do you uh, what do you make of the difference between what they were after with Kavanaugh in terms of his treatment of a young woman back in his high school days and what's happening today to uh, 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 in this confirmation hearing?
1: Look, there's a lot of ways to criticize the treatment of of, of Justice Kavanaugh, certainly. But um, looking back, you know, you're looking at his history of behavior and, and questions that came up these questions are more about kind of hypotheticals, right? Um, about playing into these culture wars and and frankly, playing into QAnon ideology as well, which is which is what's very concerning. Um, questioning whether she'd be soft on pedophiles and, and all the stuff that kind of plays into that dangerous ideology, that dangerous conspiracy theory. So um instead of looking at, you know, her past record or her public experiences or anything like that, like, like they were looking at with, with Justice Kavanaugh. Now we're well, venturing into a sort of different realm of, of hypothetical culture wars issues.
0: Um, it, it, Mayor Ingram, before we uh, conclude this part of the conversation, it's important to point out once again, as we've done all week, that um, the, this is not going to change the composition of the court ideologically. I mean, uh, she would be taking the place of Stephen Breyer, who is one of the more liberal judges on the court. So it isn't as if Republicans are defending against a liberal takeover of the, the court. Um, they are simply making points in their efforts to uh, run her down, as I said at the beginning, it, in the context of their election campaigns.
2: Yeah, I mean, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson um, clerked for Justice Breyer, who she's nominated to replace, right? Like, so this is really, again, a bad show of what, what is even critical race theory? Have, have they even defined, like, have one definition of it? It's just, you know, the truth about America's history that, you know, paints some colors and some pictures and provides some truth and shed some light on incidents that actually happened by people who are white, right? And not only that, the impact of that on other people. And so that's the truth. And it's unfortunate, again, as you said, that this has become this political grandstanding for future um, Mm. attempts, future aspirations. But it is really also, it is a black woman who is sitting before them, who is overqualified. And for them to relegate these proceedings to such antics speaks to the lack of respect um, that they have for people of color, specifically black women, it speaks to the the very cavalier way that they feel that they can approach something so serious. Um, as, as Mary Gertz said, I mean, this is American democracy on display, and it's not a good show. It's not a good showing, and it's unfortunate. But, you know, she's strong. Black women are extremely strong, and we can stand through the, the toughest of times and so she'll continue to be stoic and, and, and make that and, and be confirmed.
0: <laughs> All right, Mayor Ingram gets the last word on this segment of political read. Well we got to get to our final break of the show, we got some Georgia election news I'd really want to talk to the panel about after this break.. <laughs> Greg Blustein, uh, we learn in today's AJC, and I frankly didn't see the byline. If this is your story, please tell us. Uh, Donald Trump has made another endorsement in the Republican primaries. He's endorsed John Gordon. Who's that? Well, John Gordon is running against incumbent Chris Carr. That's the most important thing. Chris Carr, the attorney general who refused to uh, go along with Trump's efforts to overturn the presidential election last year, who's closely aligned with Trump. Uh, uh, Governor Brian Kemp, who is enemy number one uh, for Donald Trump. So uh, I think uh, it appears that Trump knows less about John Gordon, the man he's uh, supporting, uh, than what he knows about Chris Carr not helping him uh, overturn the Georgia election. Yes.
1: Yeah. I mean, this, this to me, I wrote, wrote that story um, late last night, but this to me is a sign that Trump's vowed to exact revenge on Kemp has morphed into an all out effort to punish the governor's Closest allies as well, you know. A couple of weeks ago, a week ago, where Donald Trump endorsed uh, Patrick Witt to challenge Insurance Commissioner John King. John King's done nothing to upset Donald Trump. John King barely, you know, very few Georgians even know who John King is, the incumbent Insurance Commissioner who was appointed by Kemp. This is everything to do with um, the fact that John King was appointed by Kemp and is an ally of, of, of Governor Kemp. Um, uh, both Patrick Witt, the Insurance Commissioner candidate that Trump endorsed. And John Gordon, uh, the AG candidate that Trump endorsed, both entered the race right before the qualifying deadline. They have two months to kind of get their campaigns geared up, going against incumbents who have raised money, who have some sort of name recognition, especially in Chris Carr's case, um, and who have, of course, the power of incumbency. So these are are challenges ahead for, for those candidates and for Donald Trump, too. We also saw today, though, that just as easily as he can give an endorsement, he can take it away. And just this morning, Donald Trump unendorsed Mo Brooks, the Senate candidate out of Alabama, who is back yeah. for months now um, because of a perceived slight. So uh, we're in new territory now. Trump has now endorsed seven Georgia candidates, six statewide, and then Vernon Jones for Congress. Um, and he's probably not done. Um, but at the same time, there's major questions about whether or not his endorsement still holds, packs the punch it used to in Georgia.
0: That's just the most interesting question of all, Mayor Gertz. Um, We're seeing, of course, Trump endorse candidates around the country, but nowhere is he putting the energy and the focus uh, into these endorsements as he is in the state of Georgia. He's got a slate, uh, essentially. And the question is, is this going to be the proving ground uh, for whether Donald Trump's uh, endorsements still resonate, Mayor Gertz?
4: At least the poll numbers so far do not look good for the durability of the Trump brand. I mean, certainly as a longtime Democrat, you know, I'll be voting for the Democratic ticket this fall. But you look at somebody like Carr and you think, well, he's come up through the normal ranks of leadership. You know, worked for Senator Isaacson. you know, worked in economic development. I mean, did the things that build a resume and then develop experience it seems that this wave of Trump endorsed candidates, you know, have sort of come off the clown car. Um, you know, you've got Vernon, you've, you've got, uh, you know, Purdue, who increasingly seems like he never knew anything about governance in his six years in Washington, D.C. Um, and, and, of course, you've got Kemp, who seems to be looking past the primary, looking at these poll numbers, not even thinking about what's going on in May, but already looking to November.
0: Uh, Mayor Johnson, we should point out, of course, that Donald Trump comes to Georgia on Saturday night for a big rally up in uh, commerce. Uh, so we'll be uh, hearing a lot more from him. He'll really inject himself even more directly a month and a half before our primary election here, a little more than that. Uh, but I think here's the other interesting thing I thought about when I read Greg Bluestein's story about uh, Chris Carr. Uh I was just thinking the other day that Chris Carr, so far, had really avoided Trump's wrath. He'd kind of flown under the radar. And then I see this story and realize, oh, not so fast, Mayor Johnson.
3: Well, I think that, you know, I think Greg's second book is actually going to be more interesting than the first as well. (laughs) Um, The fact is, is, this is something that's really evolving. I mean, this is history. Uh, As it's happening, and I think the most critical question is the one that Greg asked. I mean, uh, what is the influence of of Trump in Georgia? Um, And is is that, you know, does it add to you or does it take away from you? And so as uh, as, as Mayor Gert said, I'm a proud Democrat. I'm going to sit back on the side and uh, eat popcorn and just kind of watch this all kind of play out Um, because it's it's very, very interesting um, just to see kind of how um, President Trump is, former President Trump is, kinda of throw his weight around um back and forth but, um I did see um the governor's uh commercial last night uh where he was kinda of coming after uh Lita Abrams which I thought was kind of interesting. Um keeping in mind uh you do have a primary race. Um so uh I'm 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 just interested in really the, the tactics and the strategy of it all. So um I- Greg, just go ahead and start writing. it's it's just <laughs>
0: Hey, Mary Johnson, I'm glad you pointed out the Republican Governors Association ad on behalf of Brian Kemp. I want to play the audio of it in a moment. And here's what, as you point out, here's what's interesting about it. It's an at the RGA says are, they're supporting Kemp against David Perdue. Um, but what's interesting about it is uh, there's no reference to David Perdue at this at all. It at just all. immediately goes after Stacey Abrams. Let's listen.
4: While some traveled the world seeking fame, promoting their businesses, putting themselves first. Georgia had a leader here at home working hard, solving problems, getting results. Governor Brian Kemp, helping families make ends meet by lowering taxes and creating good-paying jobs, easing the burden at the gas pump, giving parents more control of their kids' education, fighting to reduce crime. Through all the challenges we've faced, Brian Kemp has always put Georgia first.
0: I think there are a lot of messages in there that I'm going to want to unpack in the days ahead on this show. But the predominant one right now, Mayor Ingram, is who's David Perdue? He's an invisible man. Kemp doesn't have anybody to worry about in the primary. He's just got to worry about Stacey Abrams. Although, should David Perdue win the primary, this ad certainly uh, uh, it, it picks up on the theme of how they'll attack uh, Stacey Abrams moving forward.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, their attack, I, I laugh when I lo- looked at it, right, because it, 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 there's a problem with her being able to be successful. There's a problem with, you know, what should she have been doing, sitting, soaking, crying? Um, so I think it suggests that there is a problem, even jealousy of the success that Leader Abrams has had, but not only the success, the impact. So what they don't talk about is the millions of dollars that she covered in healthcare costs for individuals, Right like the, the impact and the people, the service to people that she's continued to do across the world and that she has a national, international, um, and global, you know, really um, persona or, or image at this point. That But what's wrong with that, right? The reality of it is she hasn't forgotten about Georgia. She served Georgia over the last four years. I mean, definitely registered more voters and made sure that, you know, the, the turning of Georgia purple was really attributed to the most inhumane American who, served, who happened to be a former president and those inhumane antics that people across Georgia said they could not agree with, right? And I, don't, I, I believe it's not even a Republican-Democrat thing when it comes to the, 40, the former president, right? It is a humanity thing. And there are Republicans who say, we're not with that. We're not Trumpsters. We're Republicans, and there's a difference.
0: Uh, Greg, before we leave, um, the, the fact that Stacey Abrams has become a national and perhaps even an international star is fair game for Republicans moving forward, right? I mean, it, it's not—I mean, there are some things that, that they could do to take cheap shots at her, and they probably will. But But there are people who will look at how she's become so famous— Star Trek uh, uh, being among the things, and say, gee, I wonder if she's who we want to, to run the state. It's not as if that's not a fair ground for uh, criticism.
1: Sure. You know, Republicans for years, uh, you know, look at Jason Carter's run for, for governor in 2014. They're branding him an outsider because he grew up uh, for part of his childhood in Illinois, and that he was using this as a stepping stone to run for president one day if he had won. Uh, Well, Stacey Abrams has made it clear she wants to run for president. She's not hiding from that fact, right? She's 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 saying that her ambition is part of who she is, and that she wants to be a model for young black women all over the the nation that they could they could go out there and be aspirational. Um, But yes, it'll it'll play into Republican attacks. The rest it might be the one of the most powerful Republican attack lines against her that she's more devoted to national politics than she is to Georgia politics.
0: Um, real quick, Mayor Johnson, the fact of the matter is, though, Stacey Abrams will is running a campaign based on real plans for what she wants to do to uh, help Georgians, and that will be a counter to any kind of attacks that Republicans launch, although their attacks could very well be successful.
3: At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, um, you know, we can talk about where people have gone, where they've spoken, what they've done. I think the remarkable story here is, is that Stacey Abrams took the
0: pain of
3: her loss and turned it into power. I don't think you will find a, a candidate who was not successful anywhere who has made the type of impact that she has made uh, since uh, that, that loss, so to speak. I mean, uh, 68,000 Georgians debt cleared due to uh, her advocacy, $1.3 um, million dollars, um, paying medical bills. I mean, I, again, that is a resume that I think very few candidates of any of any um, race will be able to to deal with.
0: Uh, I, we're out of time. Mayor Johnson of Savannah, Mayor Gertz, Athens, Clark County, Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram, East Point. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Greg Bluestein. Always a pleasure to join you for Political Review on tomorrow. A very special program. Frank Gert, Frank Bruni new york times writer for 25 years talking about his brand new book which he talks about how his life turned inside out when he went blind in one eye it's going to be a really interesting conversation i look forward to having you all join us uh for uh that and today's uh political rewind newsletter day today i'm finishing up right now you can still subscribe go to gpb.org newsletters and uh we'll put you on the list that's it We'll be back again tomorrow. I'm Bill Nygut. Take care and please stay healthy.